I think that's extremely important to have like a strong culture, but I think like uh, words don't define your culture. Your culture is defined by the way you act as a person. Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Guillaume Lubesch is co-founder and CEO of Lemlist, the first email outreach platform that allows you to automatically generate personalized images and videos. A company Guillaume and his co-founders built starting with just $1,000 three years ago that recently passed $10 million in ARR. In this episode, Guillaume and I talk about his unique growth strategy, how the company nearly failed twice, and the philosophies he holds that have led him to success. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to have you here. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me, Ben. <laughs> Um, the first and probably most important question, this drink I'm holding up, how would you pronounce this? Because I got in a big fight with someone on my team last week. It's uh, it's pronounced La Croix. Thank you. Mike, if you're <laughs> listening, Mike is our head of marketing. And apparently because it's a U.S. company, people here are very passionate about calling it La Croix. And no. I mean, I grew up in Montreal and Toronto, so like I, it's... I can't. Like, it just kills me every time I have to say LaCroix. So thank you for the validation. <laughs> Mike, don't try to pronounce French. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually wish he tried to do it in French. That'd be fun. That'd be entertaining. Um, awesome. Well, I want to talk. There's a lot for us to talk about. Um, there's Lemlist and there's Lempire. And I'm going to Americanize the pronunciation because I'm assuming it's Lempire. And yeah, no, Lemist I actually we call like it Lempire. But, uh, you do yeah. Lempire. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, for Americans, like to, to make it easier on us. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, well, three years ago, you started Lemlist with $1,000 and you just passed 10 million in ARR, which is nuts growth, super fast. And you didn't raise a single penny of private equity funding. And you said you didn't spend any money on ads. So how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I guess like uh, from, from the start, you know, like um, when you don't have money, you need to be creative. And I feel like the, the more constraint you have, the more creative you can be. So with uh, a thousand bucks, obviously, <laughs> you have no other option than to be creative. And for us, it was great because I come from a background uh, of building an agency. So I was uh, doing a lot of outbound for clients all over the world and booking meetings for them so they can grow their business, uh, which led me you know, to thinking about, okay, we can build a better tool and that's when we came up with Lemlist. So from the start, I decided to eat our own dog food and mm -hmm. use our products to start like uh, doing sales prospecting from the start because it's basically like the cheapest way, in my opinion, to acquire customers, especially when you get started. We have set up what I would later call uh, the growth circle of love, which essentially is uh, the idea is whenever you launch a new product, you should have like a clear or not idea of who you're targeting. In our case, it was uh, mainly like uh, founders of startup or head of growth of startup scale up or small sales teams. Um, so I would basically have like different buckets and my idea would not be to sell especially in the early days, but more to build a network. So yep. I, I started to send like these campaigns and the idea behind it was like, okay, I'm reaching out to you. I used to have like my own lead gen agency. So I know a thing or two of how to make money through outbound. I would love to basically see how it's working for you guys at company name and exchange and see if we can learn from each other. So really like in a networking way. During mm -hmm. these calls, I would have like uh, two different options or scenarios. The first one would be, 
someone who's not doing outbound, and for example, they're killing it in inbound, and I would learn a thing or two and give them tips. And potentially, if they are interested and saying like, okay, maybe it's a time for them to explore outbound, I would then push for Lemlist and say, okay, man, I can organize the demo. And then from that, you know, like uh, they would say, yeah, but outbound doesn't really work. And then I would say, well, we're meeting together thanks to outbound. Right. And then they would be like, yeah, fuck, you're right. <laughs> if this is the type of thing I can do, then, then I, I definitely should give it a try. And the second sure. scenario would be like uh, people who are, who are using one of our competitors. Uh, right. And for these people, I would ask, man, I'm super curious, like uh, what has been working for you and what are the things you wish were different? Uh, and then they would go and say like, yeah, like the, the open rate of this campaign is really low. And then I would start asking, you know, questions about deliverability. How have you been like uh, improving your deliverability, meaning like how to manage to end up in the inbox and not in the spam folder? Then I would ask like, uh, how do you like do your copywriting? Do you write icebreaker for each lead? What level of automation do you use? What are the things you've tried? And based on that, I would basically do kind of a, of a discovery call where I, I would ask all the pain points. And then all these pain points would help me later down the road to get content ideas. And then I would write like the best form of content possible, start sharing it in our community where I would give tips about outbound, etc. And then once the article is live, I would then send it back to the people, you know, who I just uh, had a chat with just to bring them value and saying, yeah, remember, Ben, when you were telling me that your open rate was a bit too low, or that you struggle with copywriting. Actually, I had a chat with uh, head of growth number one, head of sales number two at company X. And they gave me like amazing tips on top of the things, you know, that I mentioned during our chat. I think this read would be valuable for you. And step by step, you know, it would um, basically me be super like user centric, trying to make sure that people, no matter what tool they use, even if they're using a competitor, that they can become more successful. At first, you know, when you launch a SaaS company, your product, uh, let's face it, is uh, is shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, like uh, you you can have like a very strong differentiator, but overall, like uh, you're going, it's going to be a bit buggy. You're going to have like a lack of features, especially if you enter a crowded market. So it mm -hmm. takes a bit of time, but by doing this and building that community from the ground up, doing a lot of outreach to people and sharing everything in the community, we were basically mm -hmm. having like some sort of what I call the growth circle of love because it's you start by reaching out to people, you find kind of like uh, their need. For some of them, you can convert them. Then Zeus, you can't convert, you will invite them in the community, provide yeah. even more value, go back to the pain, and so on and so forth until you can every time convert them into your customers, make sure that they stay with you because you want to delight them and so on and so forth. I love that. I mean, it's a it's a value first approach. Um, so we're try we're doing similar things at Catalyst. Like I, I wholeheartedly believe in community led growth and building up that social capital, providing value before you start before you ask for it, making sure you're solving a problem. And something that stuck with me recently that sounds like it's it's something that you've nurtured is this uh, the idea of that. 90% or 99% of your future customers are not ready to buy when you talk to them first. So what you're doing in terms of building your brand and bringing them into the community is making it so that when they are ready to buy, when they do have that pain point, you're top of mind. They know to come to you and they want to come to you because you provided them value and they're in your community. I love to hear that that's worked so well for you and so quickly. Yeah, and I, and I think like um, you need to go back to the essence of sales Sales is about like trusting people that they will help you solve a specific issue. But this trust takes a lot of time to build. 
So the way we managed to do that was through really like trying to interview uh, really outbound experts, associate, mm -hmm. you know, our names. So in the community, we had people like uh, Aaron Ross, G.B. Barrows, Morgan Ingram, etc. like coming in like uh, on the show, like uh, Beck Holland, etc. Like everyone came like to have chat with us live with Q&A's like the there were hundreds of people, if not thousands, like watching it, etc. And by doing this, you kind of like associate your brand and everything you say with the top experts, which creates a lot of trust. And then in the end, you know, it's a matter of, uh, of doing things uh, that you shouldn't or doing things differently, you know. So it's like, yeah. um, for example, you know, like uh, back in the days uh, when we started Lemlist, if you would type like uh, cold email templates, you would end up on HubSpot because they have like uh, kick-ass SEO. But the yeah. truth is like these articles have been written by people who are doing marketing, meaning that they've never sent an actual cold email. They've never done sales in the past, etc. So everyone is copy pasting this copy, this cold email templates. But in the end, everyone gets disappointed. So we just took something like this and I was like, OK, you know what? I don't care about these templates. I'm just going to do my own sales prospecting. And every single week, I will showcase how I did it and what results did I get. And nice. step by step, people in the community started to do the same. Because you have to imagine that when we started in 2018, people did not want to share their cold email templates. It was, you know, right. like for each sales rep, it's like, it's my secret sauce. Why, why the fuck would I share uh, something, yeah. you know, that I've been crafting for years, et cetera, et cetera. It's like yeah. people didn't want to. But as I started like this movement, people mm -hmm. became like more inclined to share because they were like, okay, I mean, if Guillaume is sharing, maybe, you know, like I can do it too. And then yeah. we, we started what we call like the, the Lemlister of the week, meaning that nice. every single week we take one of our users who had like the best result of their campaign and we showcase it to the community. And the bigger you get, the I more exposure you can get, you know, like in the community. So the more people want to share. And then it becomes right. like this kind of circle where everyone wants to start sharing their results, start sharing their tips, et cetera, et cetera. And down the line, that really like boosts your growth as you have more and more people really like uh, involved in, uh, in the community, in the spirit and in everything. It's an amazing flywheel to build where basically you're, it's incentivizing people to help each other and provide value to each other, which in turn creates value within your community, but then it sort of builds on itself. So the more people share, the more value there is, the more people, the more audience there is, the more people want to share and it sort of loops around and around. So I think that's a, it's a brilliant strategy. I'm curious because I know that you've mentioned that the company almost failed twice. It sounds like out of the gate, you guys were really creative and this was your, this was your approach. Clearly it's worked, but what, what do you, what do you think was it that went wrong that, that caused that and what was it that saved you? I guess there were like uh, two things. The, the first thing uh, was in the early days. So the community was uh, just as the start. I think it was maybe like uh, five months old, meaning that most of the content was me writing it, me putting it, trying to like keep it alive, like providing mm -hmm. value, like removing all the Your spammers. content is really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I guess it's just because like the, the content I write is just based on, uh, initially I'm a chemical engineer, so I love to oh, experiment. Really? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> so That's I love crazy. to e experiment tons of things and put it on paper. And mm -hmm. I guess like the content is, uh, is just um, real. You know, it's like uh, I've done this experiment, here are the results, and I try to like uh, put it in a way that, uh, that, that people can understand. And down the line, you know, like uh, with the community, the, the, the initial idea behind the community was, okay, we're a very small company and doing support takes a lot of time. So I'm also moving all our users into the community. 
But the truth is like one day we decided to change entirely like the, the UX and UI. Oh, uh, no. And we didn't tell our users about it. We just you like didn't beta test. You no. just like change it. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely oh, okay, no. Nice. You know, it was just like yeah. Of course, <laughs> you know, like we're the founders. We know the best. <laughs> of course, and they're of course, and, and they're all in a the same community as your prospects. So you're basically of this public community. Exactly. And you didn't do separate communities. You one for both your customers and your prospects. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. So we changed entirely the UX because most of our customers are actually US based. Okay. Um, and I remember, like, um, I was like, we pushed the, the version live. It was maybe like uh, 9 p.m. in Paris or something like that. Okay. At that time, I went out like uh, with uh, with my girlfriend, and then I came home at like midnight or something. And then I can see like all the messages like on the community. No. And then I messaged like my co-founders, and my co-founders are a bit older, so they were like, "Yeah, we'll see like uh, tomorrow." Or I think they didn't even reply at first. Uh, so I was like, holy shit. And, and you start seeing people who are like, uh, I don't know like uh, what's going on with the UX, but it's like the worst UX exchange I've ever oh, seen no. in any product, etc., etc. So I went on the support, starting to answer all tickets, saying like, yeah, most users told us these changes were necessary, etc. So you yeah. try, try to kind of like uh, tell that, you know, like it's not just you, it's also like based on feedback, which was actually the case, but our interpretation of feedback was uh, very like broad, I would say. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, like uh, in the morning, I started to see like messages which were taking like my message from the support. And it was like, apparently support is saying that some people have asked for this UX exchange. You guys are the most fucking stupid people oh ever. My God. And, and it really went like crazy like this. So basically, all the haters and the, the loudspeaker, um, like uh, mm -hmm. I, we basically like put them in a group chat right. with uh, my co-founders, and we asked them like, okay, explain like what's the struggle right now. Instead of saying like I don't like this new UX, explain why. And in the end, we realized, ah, oh, okay, this guy can't actually access previous features that he loved because we made mistakes in the way we do we did things. So updating like live, and within like 24 hours. Uh, first, we thought that the company was gonna die <laughs> because we started seeing like churn, but it was crazy. Oh, really? Like, yeah, it was crazy, and and we were very young, so I was like, shit, you know, like it's. Yeah, uh, you're panicking. Yeah, you're panicking, and you're like reverse, reverse, reverse. And <laughs> no. my co-founder was like, no, I mean, you know, we made that chance for a reason. And then I was like, holy fuck, you know. Yeah. Um, and then at the, 24 hours later, you know, like uh, everything was fine, and people like uh, actually like we turned all these haters into really like loyal fans because they were like. First time I see like founders getting involved to actually like build on the spot based on feedback, like new features, etc., etc., etc. And uh, the second time where where I thought like the the company would uh, would fail, it was more like a, a co-founder issue. With my two co-founders, my two co-founders are uh, two brothers. They are really like tech geniuses, and I'm more like on the on the business side. Um, yeah, and, you're uh, just a lowly chemical engineer turned <laughs> multi-million dollar founder, but that's okay. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> and uh, we started to have like uh, more and more arguments about like a few things. And down the line, you know, like uh, the communication was really the worst. It was crazy. I couldn't message them during the weekend. Like they were really like, if you message me after 7 p.m., like uh, you have no life. You need to get a life. Like it was really like <laughs> kind of like crazy, you know. And for a week. They didn't chat with me, so it was like uh, at all, at all. And uh, I would send message on Slack, and I wouldn't get an answer. And then I would oh, like, no. holy fuck, you know, like uh, if we have technical issues. So I was handling like support by myself. I would assign yeah. tickets when they're dev, but I wouldn't know what happened, you know. And then down the line, you know, like uh, we basically like talk it through. 
uh, then you know we took like a, a coach for uh, communication and really like uh, getting more aligned as founders working on uh, non-violent communication like all these <laughs> type of things and yeah like huge learning for me but uh, a few stressful moments i would say <laughs> And now are you pretty good about like, do not message them after 7 p.m. or on weekends? No, actu actually right now it's uh, it's the opposite. Like uh, we have totally changed our relay. Like they, they are happy to message me like uh, late at night or during weekends when they have questions. Like it's uh, it's much more like flexible. In the beginning, there were also like some trust, you know, issues in the sense that, okay, I was like the, the young guy uh, with no real track records. Uh, mm -hmm. They had been developers for like 25 years in some like really like scale-ups and very like famous companies so it was a bit yeah you're the young one you're supposed to be on the business side now show us the money and then you know it creates also like confidence issue and you yeah. know like it's a it's a long it's a long process like it takes time you know to communicate trust people build relationships and uh, and make sure like that you are much closer with your co-founders in the end so so you can be aligned to to grow like into a, a billion dollar company if you want <laughs> exactly which i'm sure you're well on the way to what I found that like I've at least like for myself is the I'm okay with the late night and evening messages, but only with the understanding that no one is obligated to respond on evenings or weekends. Like exactly. I'm totally happy because there are some nights where I'm just like bored or I have an idea for a project and I'm really excited about. And so I am going to respond. I'm going to message people and that sort of thing. And I never expect them to respond. Um, and same with my manager and stuff and we'll text or whatever. But like, again, it's always with that understanding. But we had to establish that because I've been in places where like you are expected to respond at 9 p.m. for if it's a uh, if it's an issue or, you know, no one's responding and I need a response and everyone's like, no, it's after five. We're done. Goodbye. <laughs> and that's frustrating for when you're building a startup like you can't be it's got to have a little bit of flexibility, but with a mutual agreement as to what's OK and what's not OK. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I think it's it's super important to define like uh, the boundaries. Everyone has their own way of working, I would say. But down the line, I agree with you. Like uh, from time to time, if you want to work until midnight, like and because you are inspired, etc., like you shouldn't break your flow. So, yeah. right. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out catalyst.io to learn more. You're sort of looking from the other the the other angle because despite those you've done some amazing things at Lemlist. What are your what's your proudest moment so far with the company? It's a good question. I think like uh, they they were like there were a few like uh, moments where I was like really proud, uh, but for a different reason. The first one is uh, when we could pay ourselves a salary. I think yeah. it was huge for me <laughs> because. Yeah, it was it was really like the the first time I realized, especially you know when you are a SaaS startup, because in the service world where where I was like uh, when I when I had my agency, it's like mm -hmm. you're charging essentially like for your time or for the the time of the people you hire, uh, and then you're making money out of it. But 
sometimes you know like every month is a new month you know like you you don't really have like recurring revenue it's more like mm -hmm. contract that you signed over some period of time uh, but with a SaaS, you know it's like once you start paying yourself it means that your mrr allows you to do that which means that next month it's you don't have to think you know about like uh, finding all these new clients you, you know it's stable at least you know like if, if you don't grow at least you're, you're not going to lose money so so i was like okay this is like uh, one of the moments i was really really proud the the other time was um when we sold one of our side projects that we grew to uh five hundred thousand dollar in annual recurring revenue in about like uh, 18 months or something and we we wow. exited it uh, so it, it was at the same time as Lemlist, so we decided to focus on uh, on Lemlist. It was called Lempod. I always wanted to experience this uh, exit type of thing, and we had to negotiate like for for a lot of time, and it was uh, it was quite crazy. And uh, the final thing I would say, I think it's uh, in our uh, last team building in Turkey, when we brought like all the team like together to uh, we 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 told them like okay we're gonna go ten days in Turkey in the sun, and uh, at that time we we announced them that uh, we were going to give to the entire company uh, close to $700,000 as a bonus at the end of the year based on the, the profit that we're making. So we're taking like a percentage wow. of the profit and we're yeah. giving it to, uh, to all of our employees that's amazing. Uh, as, a, as a special bonus. <laughs> they must have freaked out. <laughs> yeah, people were, were quite excited. Uh, and and unless, it's quite you, nice. unless, yeah. unless you have seven hundred thousand employees, in which case it's less exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's, no, no, no. It's uh, <laughs> we're like 30, 30 ish. So amazing! Uh, that's yeah, huge. It's, so it's yeah, uh, amazing. Yeah, it, it was. It's a really, really great feeling as a founder, you know, because uh, yes, a company is there like to make money, and the money to me is linked to uh, your success, kind of thing, because it reflects how many customers you're helping in the world. So it's a, a good number to track. But, you know, down the line, you, you should never forget as a founder that whenever you're doing things, it's also like you're not alone, like uh, you have a team for it. And, uh, and you should not forget the team, even though it means like getting less money for you in the end. It doesn't matter. Like uh, it's, it's good also to share and it's good also like uh, just to reward people. Uh, and, uh, and it felt good. Yeah. <laughs> and in the long term, I'm sure it even without I mean, I agree with you, you know, doing it for the right reasons is, is I think, important but even from a business perspective like i mean when you take care of your employees your employees take better care of your customers they you take better care of the product they're going to stay longer they're going to which and all of that stuff has such an impact on the growth and success of the business over time yeah definitely definitely i think i think there are a few really good examples where this has worked really well i i doubt like uh for the the biggest companies that it can work as well as in smaller ones, uh, just because of the size. And, you know, when you're like uh, 10,000 employees, you can't yeah. keep the same vibe as if you're like few uh, 50, 100 or 200 or even 300 people. But uh, but this is something I want to keep. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a chance. I mean, I think, you know, it's it's something I'm thinking about at Catalyst as we grow, but it's so important to keep that as long as you can. And I think as long as we start the right way, which I think we've done on our team, like we could keep that going quite far. And I think the only reason we don't think it's possible, if you think about all the companies that are now like 10,000 people plus, they were all start, most of them were started at least like 15 years ago, pretty much, if not 20, 30, 40 years ago. And so it was a different 
culture around like how to start and build and grow a tech company and what your culture should be like. And so maybe it just hasn't been done yet, but it's perfectly possible. So um, no, that's we'll, true. <laughs> we'll stay optimistic. But I was going to say the uh, I saw recently too the the owner of Spanx that I think their company was acquired or IPO I forget, but they um, had 500 employees. And when they announced it, they gave she she gave everyone two first class tickets to anywhere in the world and ten thousand dollars. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's an amazing thing to do. <laughs> Great way to celebrate. So I'm excited to see what you do when you hit a billion. Yeah, we'll have time to plan. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I mean, so talking about culture, what is, how would you define the culture at Lemless? Like, is there something sort of at the core of it that you think has enabled your team to grow, be happy, be successful, and get to where you are today? Yeah, I think like it took us a bit of time to define like uh, our values and uh, what we're standing for. I think that it's extremely important to have like a strong culture, but I think like uh, words don't define your culture. Your culture is defined by the way you act as a person. Mm -hmm. uh, we I see too many startups that are really good. You know, like they they just go out there, raise like ten millions, put uh, get some really nice office, are gonna put like uh, get shit done on every single wall they can find, and say <laughs> hey, this is our value. You know, we're grinders. There is no like nothing backing it up, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, and for me, I think like your actions should talk louder than just the words. And I would say that uh, for us, what's really important, the the first value we have, which is uh, a bit less common in in startups, is called uh, loyalty, meaning that uh, we're super loyal to our customers, super loyal to our team members. Uh, it's not just like loyal to the company because obviously we know that some. If people someone will... leaves, you never talk to them again. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly. Like, you're done. <laughs> It's more like loyal, you know, like to uh, to the mission and to people in general. Um, then you know we have uh, obviously like the 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 mindset of continuous optimization because we like to optimize ourselves as much as possible. We see ourselves as just like a, an evolving version, and uh, everyone needs to understand that we don't have any ego. Uh, ego is kind of like the enemy, so everyone should be receiving feedback. Everyone should step up and grow faster than the company and to do so uh, you know like we have um, let's say unlimited amount of money for people to train and and that's you know like the the, the two things i would say that uh, that define us the most and then the last thing would be like uh, obviously like being doers over talkers meaning that in a lot of companies like um, they would plan for like six months to launch something we're more about like uh, launching and then seeing what's up uh, yeah. which has its pros and cons. <laughs> I'm not, not yeah. going to lie about it. Yeah, I've, got, I've but... <laughs> gotten some some feedback on that internally myself, so I'm with you. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that's, uh, that's kind of like what, we, what defines us. And the, what defines us the most, I would say, is like we do things that we shouldn't. So pretty much every time I get an advice from like a successful founder, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a good approach as well. Um, maybe not all the time, but like a lot of the not time. Not all the time, yeah. <laughs> I mean, speaking of which, like you, you know, you didn't come from this major background of having scaled multiple companies, but it seems like you just have incredibly strong instincts about this around what you think is good or right, what do you think is bad or the wrong approach. Where does that come from? It's a good question because um, if I look, you know, like my parents, uh, they grew up on a farm, uh, they didn't get any degree. So whenever like uh, they went to, to Paris, they, they just like got jobs and for them it was important for my brother and I like to get a, a good education. Mm -hmm. I don't come from a, a rich family or someone with a, a lot of entrepreneurs. I guess like what, what pushed me was uh, traveling. 
So I, I always had the feeling, you know, of uh, I was always like very intrigued by people doing business, by people doing like uh, businessmen were intrigued. Well, it was really intriguing for me. But for my parents, business was not a job. Uh, so they were okay. like, like, do science, <laughs> build right. your okay. brain and you will see later. So I became an engineer for that. Uh, but then after that, I always wanted to travel the world and I never had the chance with my parents. So I did pretty much like every student job you can do. So I was like a salesman. Then uh, I, I was a teacher in like medicine school. So I was like teaching oh, chemistry. Cool. I, I basically like saved a lot of money. And then I traveled the world using like uh, social media to stay at people home for free. And nice. I did this for a year. And you survived. Yeah, and I survived. I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that was possible. You would just tweet, hey, I'm in Slovenia. Is there someone who's yes. got I can crash on? So I would, uh, I would use like, uh, so we had a Facebook page. I would also okay. have like uh, an Instagram account where I could like just post and, uh, and get into like uh, asking people like, do you know someone here and there? And then we used yeah. also a lot of uh, couchsurfing, which was pretty convenient. And from there, you know, I realized that, okay, like, this feeling of freedom, of uh, me being able to do like uh, whatever I want, etc., is something I want to recreate. And for that, I felt like the only path was uh, becoming an entrepreneur. Yep. So I just decided to, to kind of like get started. So I went back to business school and did a ma master in marketing because uh, coming from really like this uh, background of if you want to do something, you need a degree for it, which is totally right. wrong. But that's, yep. that was like At my mindset <laughs> back in the days. And, uh, and I just started, I failed, and then I was like, it's okay. And I, I failed even more. And step by step, you know, you, you know, like you're, I don't know, I don't remember the quote again, but it's like, it's like you're just uh, one failure away from success or something like that. Something and, like that, yeah. And, and it's, it's basically the mindset. Nice. I love that. And so do you read business books? Like, do you listen? You said, if, you know, you get advice from, from other founders and stuff like that and sort of try to do the opposite. Like, are you kind of just, no, like, I need to figure this out for myself, make my own mistakes and go from there? Or do you try to go to conferences and read books and all that kind of stuff as well? It's quite tough. Uh, I've always been like the, the worst reader ever. So for a lot of time, I really hated to read books. Uh, then I started to read books when I needed to. And then I switched totally the way I read book, which uh, would make the book writer a bit crazy. But I think it's the best way for me, meaning that uh, I don't read books entirely. I just uh, do like fast reading. So I'm just going to go through the book in, uh, let's say, like uh, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I can read an entire book. And then based on that, I can see like which chapters I want to go back to based on my needs at a certain point in time. But otherwise, I'm just like a huge uh, fan of uh, podcasts of uh, you know like um, uh, youtube videos uh, about yeah. like specific topic and i love reading like blog posts much more than i love to to read books uh, but um, but step by step and then i also try like uh, meeting with uh, with really like ceos not only the one that have succeeded i get much more inspired with the one that are struggling which i know yeah. is terrible so if you're struggling right now let's have a chat now but it's um, it's it's for me it's the grinders the one that are like trying you know like to to pull their head out of the water uh, yeah. and just like grow their business are the ones that are going to come with the most innovative ideas yeah. because you know they are in that stage where yeah. they have so much constraints that they are forced to be creative if they want to if they want to explode and become like a best version so for me this is during this time that uh, you get this inspiration and this gut feeling of new things and ideas i love that you you've mentioned that twice now and i think that's such an important thing that a lot of people don't understand especially when it comes to 
being creative with your content and well with anything that you do is that the more constraints you have the more creative it enables you to be if you give someone a project and you're just like hey come up with a creative marketing project that'll land us leads they're gonna be like paralyzed like i would struggle with that a lot but if someone is like hey we need a project we need a marketing strategy for this particular user type and it can only be done in this amount of time with this amount of budget and this is the theme that we want to do for it and you know xyz then i'm going to have 50 ideas within a couple hours because you have those constraints so i love that that's something you've you've mentioned a couple times absolutely yeah for me it's uh, for me it's crucial and um that's the issue i have with uh you know like first time founders whenever they're raising funds sometimes you know that they get overwhelmed with the possibility of things that they can do and they right. get lost whereas you know when we started i was spending all my working hours with our customers. Uh, the right. reason is I, I had no other choice. Like we didn't have money to pay someone for support. So I was doing it. So I would see all the pain points. Like for a year and a half, I was the only one doing support. Then after that, you know, I was the, also the only one doing sales until 1 million in uh, annual recurring revenue. Uh, so all of these things help you really become uh, master in many different topics and help mm -hmm. you at least understand each department, which later on is crucial to really scale your company. When you were starting things out and you were bringing on team members and you, like you said, your co-founders are older than you and, and have more experience, how did you, I mean, were you fighting imposter syndrome? Like, were you sort of figuring, like, thinking about, do I know what I actually know what I'm doing? Like, am I screwing this up? Am I like, was that something you had to get past? So to me, like the imposter syndrome, I'm sorry, it's not going to be reassuring for people listening, but it's something that that never goes away. <laughs> that is reassuring. That is reassuring because I still have it. Like, I'm just like, is it supposed to go away at some point? Yeah, it's it's something for me. It's like, you know, sometimes I still get like uh, interviewed or asked to be speaker in really like uh, high end events, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, and I'm like, you know, like I see the list of other speakers and I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why did, yeah, they, exactly. why did they ask me, you know? I think like the fact that you're feeling like an imposter is a good sign because it forces you to live to the standard that people have from you, which means that when people think that you are like an awesome person, your goal, because you feel like an imposter, is to become as awesome as possible, which I think is a good thing. You know, it's like, uh, okay, how can I level up? How can I become a better manager, a better CEO, a better like uh, leader? And that drives me actually. So be an imposter and own it. <laughs> own being imposter. I love that. I mean, in that similar vein, I mean, you, you post on social a lot, obviously. That's something else where I always feel a little bit, I guess the imposter syndrome comes into play. Or I'm just, you know, I'll spend 30 minutes on a post and I'm like, will anyone actually give a shit? And then I delete the post. <laughs> um, in addition to being CEO, like time management wise, how do you do all this posting and come up with these amazing posts? And then on the on the other side, you know, how do you feel about or what are your thoughts on putting these thoughts out there and confident or at least very hopeful that there are people are going to find them valuable, engage with them, and they're going to accomplish what you hope they do? Okay, so I'm going to answer your question like the, the last Reverse. one first and, Fair uh, and the right. first one. The truth is whenever you're writing, the best way to not stress too much about it, especially when you're posting on social, is to think about two things. First thing if your post gets zero engagement, it means that no one sees it. So it's, it's not the end of the world. The second thing is like whenever you're writing, your motivation should be to write for the person you were a week ago, a month ago, uh, a year ago. 
the idea is like once you learn something, it becomes obvious. If you look at kids, for example, in the streets that are like uh, maybe two to three years old, uh, I know it sounds creepy like this, but basically, like uh, it's fascinating to see like uh, how they look at people on bicycles. A bicycle is like uh, two wheels. And then if it stands by itself, it just falls. And then, you know, right. you have someone on it that goes much faster than someone walking. So for kids who don't know how to ride bicycles, they're like, this is amazing. But the truth is like, as soon as they learn, everything becomes obvious. But the right. idea is to always keep that keen mindset and understand that back in the days, a month ago or something like this, if you hadn't realized what you're going to post about, you would be amazed by learning it. Yeah. So write for that person you were in the past and be proud of it. So for I me, that's, that. that's, that's really like the, the thing that drives me is to say like, no matter like um, what people will react, how people will react to my post. Like I don't even look at, you know, like the engagement, the likes and all these things. I don't care. I just write all my posts in Notion. I have like a library of posts that I can just like uh, post randomly. So I, I like to do things in batch. So I would write like, uh, so that would answer your, your first question, which is how do I find time? To me, um, writing comes with inspiration and flow. So mm -hmm. when I've got the flow, I can write like uh, in one hour, maybe like 20 posts or something. Um, and, and I feel like if I would push myself to write every single day, I, I wouldn't like it. Some people like to build a habit of writing and that's how they do. I think for copywriters, it's super important to do it. But as a CEO, you can't, you can't really like uh, push yourself because you have always like uh, a meeting that comes down to the specific hour etc etc yeah. so it's it's always a mess and the idea yeah, really it's to um, just get started just get started that writing don't be like afraid do you because like some people for example uh, like to write in batch others like to write when they are under pressure meaning like uh, yeah. okay i need to have this challenge of writing 30 posts in 30 days which means that every day i need oh, to shit. come up with a new idea etc etc and it's it's up to you really like uh it's really something I, personal i usually just deny myself food i'm usually i'm very food motivated so i'll be like i can't eat until i've written that like this much or i've done this and it always works that's how i got through university that's how i get through work nice. now i'm very food made motivated so you're, you're really good because i've tried that and for me it's terrible like for example if, if i put like a candy or chocolate next to my my desk i will just my brain will tell me you know that your brain needs sugar to work. Of so course. eat that sugar a little bit and I, I can assure you that you're going to be more proactive in of doing course. the task. <laughs> nice. Yes, I mean, I can see that side of it too, for sure. Uh, but I love that strategy and I love the idea of writing for yourself a week ago, a month ago, a year ago. The things that seem obvious to us now were not obvious to us then and, and we forget that. The second that something's obvious, we discount it and it's now no longer valuable. It's the same thing with people's skills, right? The things that come easy to us might be extremely hard for other people but because it comes easy to us we discredit it we're like oh but that doesn't matter like that's that's easy and that's just something i think that people always need to be reminded of right absolutely an easy way to uh, to get reminded of that is um first time you started like working for a business organization and they were talking about like uh, or saying things like asap or, uh, you know, like using all these acronyms and you were like, what the fuck are you talking about? You know, like MRR, ARR, scale up, startup, churn. You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> and I remember nodding and smiling to API very, very often. <laughs> oh, yeah, like, yeah, API, totally. of course. <laughs> you can plug into your API, of course. Why not? <laughs> that sounds great.
clearly you're someone who's very goal, who's very motivated. Seems you seems like you've been very motivated from like young age kind of thing. So, what is a non-lemlist or lempire related goal that you have for yourself? I had planned to to actually do an Ironman. Oh, oh, an oh, an Ironman. Ironman, yeah, okay. Ironman. So I wanted to do that, but uh, then COVID came, so I kind of like delayed Great it. Great excuse, yeah. Yeah, good excuse, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's still on my to-do list, uh, and now it's uh, I guess like shorter-term goals is uh, finishing like uh, basically the entire. Uh, I just bought a flat in Paris, uh, which is quite nice, and I'm redoing Amazing. everything. So just uh, yeah, starting like have uh, get get have that done. Yeah, that's more of a personal goal. I mean, that's always a huge challenge is getting a place to like, especially now there's like supply chain stuff and it's eight months to get a couch delivered. So yeah, <laughs> with you on that, having just moved to New York, I feel, feel the pain. Um, but feel it'll the be, mattress on the floor. <laughs> yeah, honestly, though, I, the first day I went to, do you guys have Casper in, in France? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So the, literally the day we flew in, I like went to the Casper store, bought a mattress, brought it put it in like the back of an uber brought it home like put that on the floor while we were waiting for the real mattress to arrive and then they take it's they have no questions for their returns within 100 days so it was perfect because nice. i just had it there and didn't have to worry <laughs> about it and then they donate all their mattresses that you return to uh women's shelters i believe so oh, nice it worked out it's a win-win-win situation <laughs> so it's <was> great <laughs> you know as we sort of get more to the philosophy of what you're building why you're building it I'm curious about the people that you hire because we talked a bit about culture before and seems like you have this great team partying in Turkey for 10 days. Uh, <laughs> when you're hiring, like, how do you know if someone is going to be a great addition to the team? Yeah, so I have a lot of uh, good learnings when it comes to hiring. A good thing to do that I've done and that has been like uh, working well for me is to essentially like um, you can read every single book you want on HR and on hiring. Like there is the most famous one, which is like uh, Wu, I think it's called, uh, where you take basically all of your uh, different values. You put like question next to your values to see if people fit in the culture, etc. Then you have all these kind of like scorecards for a different position. You grade people. It's very like uh, I loved it because it was very engineering type of things. But the truth is. What I did on top of this score and the scoring that, which is supposed to be like the best method for hiring, I put a confidence score of, do I think this person out of my gut, you know, like, mm -hmm. do I think this person would be like a player in the coming months? And then I put a score. And next to that, I've reviewed like all the persons we've hired and the one that we had to let go. Mm -hmm. And I realized that in the end, no matter what I did with this fucking like scorecard or whatever, my gut, is yeah. always going the right direction. So yeah. I think like, to be honest, in the end, as a founder, you build a business that will look just like you. If it doesn't look like you, then you're gonna fail in your business. It's like uh, building a community, pretending that you're someone else. It's not gonna work out. You need to be like your true self because businesses, communities, etc., are built in the long run. And in the long run, you can't sustain being like someone else. Like it doesn't work. The truth is like you need to understand how to trust your instinct, uh, yeah. how to trust really like uh, that gut feeling you have whenever you're hiring. And then after that, try to link it to things that are very like actionable and very like rational, like uh, goals, objectives, et cetera, et cetera. I think what we what we look for uh, whenever we're hiring people is uh, the most thing, like the thing that I love the most is eagerness to learn. Yeah. And if you ask someone like, do you want to learn new things? They're going to see 
yeah, of course, I'm like super curious. I love to like read new books. All the, like, okay, okay, fair enough. Like, <laughs> let's cut the crap for this interview. Like, let's go through the through the real shit. And I love when people cut the crap. You know, it's like because yeah. some people they are going to talk for hours about like this one little thing. Like, okay, in your personal life, what have you learned recently? Yeah. Okay, uh, yeah, I've learned a bit about like uh, crypto. Okay, like tell me about crypto, like cryptocurrency, like what do you know about it? Like tell me about blockchain, tell me about and you see how people like explain things. Are right. they able to master it enough so they can dump it up like uh, as if I was like five years old or something like that? Or is it something that's yeah, but actually you know what? Yeah, I've learned it, but it's just the beginning. I only watched one video. And then you see like how deep people go whenever they're learning things. The thing I do when people give me an example and then they can't go deep enough, I'm like, okay, what recently have you learned that you can go really, really deep into? And then they're going to say, oh, yeah. And I can say, and trying to make them as comfortable as possible. So I would say, for example, it can be something like a cooking lesson you just took. And uh, mm -hmm. and then, you know, like during uh, lockdown, everyone started to be like a chef, you know. So yeah, they're all making funny. sourdough. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so, so then people were telling me during the interview, yeah, recently I've learned how like uh, to cook lasagna. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. You know, like uh, my mom is Italian. So let's talk about lasagna. You know, I know her thing of too. <laughs> and then, you know, like they dig in and I was like, okay, like some people just tell you like the basic stuff, but there is no passion in it. So from right. that question, this is where I could really, really understand like uh, who to hire or who not to hire. And uh, and I think this is a, uh, this is usually like the best skill anyone can have. Cause so, so what I'm hearing is you're hiring people based on lasagna. Based exactly. And tiramisu. <laughs> I mean, it would be an Italian who does that, who does their hiring based on that. And it's probably a good strategy. But uh, no, I think those are those are fantastic points. And and at the end of the day, I'm with you on gut instinct. Like it's evolved. Our, our gut, our instincts have evolved over thousands of years to compute things that we can't that we don't think of on the surface, but are going on underneath. And so, yeah, I, I don't think you can go too wrong in, in that perspective. So one thing I love about your posts and everything you're putting out there is, you know, you're very opinionated um, and you've got a lot of great ideas on things. So I'm curious what you think is something that a lot of startups and businesses are doing wrong these days. I think that people have this uh, obsession of scale. Mm. And when you're obsessed on scale over your customers, you're making all the mistakes in the world. I wouldn't say that startups are doing things wrong. I'm more like blaming the CEOs, to be honest, because I think you should lead with example. And if your CEO is not talking to your customers, if your CEO is not doing all these little things that you know are manual tasks, are taking time, etc., and at least or has done it for like a lot of time before he can actually like do other things, like we're still like a ten million dollar uh, ARR company. Uh, we've been valued like at one hundred and fifty million recently. And I still basically like do these things where I'm going to do like a coaching one on one with some of our users. I'm going to take some calls. I'm, gonna, I'm doing all these things and, and it's super important. And I don't consider myself a god or anything. It's just like you need to show to people like uh, that you need to put the work. And yeah. uh, by doing all these little things that don't scale, you actually get insights on the most important part of the business where the trends are going, what people are really struggling with. Is this like way too far from your vision? It's good to be, you know, in the in the now. It's good to be with people. And uh, and I think that to me, like when I see startups today, I think they are too focusing on, yeah, how can we automate this? So they're going to spend, for example, like 
the time of two engineers to write like an automation script on something they haven't even tested manually, you know? So it's like right. you start building an automation or a gross engine, whatever, but you haven't done it manually. Like, what the fuck, you know? Like, yeah. and, uh, and another thing I would say that people are, are liking, uh, I don't think companies lack of data. I think companies lack of guts. And for me, this is the worst because being like an engineer, I'm uh, really like uh, data oriented. I love data, etc. But if you know really well data, you understand that the data you get is never the full picture. Right. And sometimes you should be business smart instead of just looking at a spreadsheet and saying, oh, look at, uh, look at this. I can give you a very simple example. We did a test for three months. We had our sales team, instead of being fully focused on outbound, they started doing uh, much more inbound demos. And then once we looked at the conversion rate from sign up to close, mm -hmm. the conversion rate didn't change. The conclusion you could get from there is like, your sales team is fucking useless. <laughs> like they, they don't close more deals. Like it's, right. it doesn't work. But if you look at this, you just look at one specific thing. You don't look at what's the LTV, so what's the lifetime value of the deals they have closed, what right. the average uh, customer size of the of the deal, how big Time is the deal, how long yeah. people stay, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and you're missing mm -hmm. on the big picture. So sometimes you know, like being data driven gives you only like, a, and this is a very ex simple example, but, but it's a good one. It works. Yeah, I, I love that. And I mean, we're we're at time. I don't want to make you late. I'm sure you've got a lot on going on today. <laughs> but if you could leave, you know, our listeners who are largely, you know tech people at scale ups, building companies, you know, some just new to the tech community and some are founders and have been in it for, for a long time. You know, what's a thought you'd want to leave with them? Do things that you shouldn't follow your guts. You know, like people's advice are worse, you know, their own experience. We all have our own. So create your own luck and, and do things that, uh, that people tells you not to do. It's, uh, it's the best way to learn. <laughs> we, we have a saying on our marketing team, which is do one thing a day that scares our CEO. <laughs> and so we, we take that to heart. I, I love that message. So. I like it. I might steal this for uh, for the marketing team. Please go for it. Well, Guillaume, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It was awesome chatting with you. And if you're ever in the States, um, I hope you'll come by. Definitely. Thanks a lot, Ben. It was great. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.